morning, church. Uh, my name is Ryota Yogo. I'm a missionary uh, with ministry called Kai Alpha Campus Ministries, and, and I get to um, serve and live among today's college students, and it has been an absolute privilege and, and my honor uh, to spend my life with the generation that is changing the future of this country and of this world, and, and we're so, so grateful. Thank you, Bethel Church family, for loving us and embracing us and praying for us. We actually wrapped up our last meeting this past week. Um, we have been meeting in the fellowship hall on the Friday nights for worship gatherings, but praise God, the Lord is adding more students into our fellowship, and we start feeling a little bit tighter in the fellowship hall, so we actually moved to campus. Uh, we're using one of the academic uh, classroom, auditorium on engineering building, and that can hold probably about 300 people. So Lord's willing, next year, uh, we're going to fill that auditorium by the grace of God. It's been wonderful. Um, Around this time, it, the weather has been absolutely gorgeous and, and, and fantastic. I love being in Texas around this time. You see all the wildflowers and uh, weather is great, even though the mosquitoes start <laughs> birthing and, and uh, we're going to see a lot of mosquitoes. However, um, this, this season of this time reminds me of my salvation because I gave my life to Jesus at the end of April or early May, I don't exactly remember uh, the day that I gave my life to, the date, uh, but I remember telling my small group leader on his graduation day that I decided to follow Jesus, and, and, and of course, he freaked out, and, and he didn't remember anything about his graduation, but this, this Japanese student that, you know, he pursued for two years, finally gave his life to Jesus. Uh, but that was the end of the spring semester. So it's 18 years ago, around this time, I gave my life to Jesus. And that is the absolutely the greatest things that the Lord allowed me to do with my life. Um, but the soon after, I don't know, you can relate to, to my story, but soon after, I, I began to sense uneasiness in my heart because I told my parents that I decided to follow Jesus and they didn't like it. My dad was angry. My mom was crying for weeks and my sister was blaming me because the family is falling apart. And I told my friends back home that I decided to be a Christian. And they said, oh, you just want to fit into American Christianity, American religion. You've been there for long enough to, to call yourself American, meaning Christians. So I start sensing these kind of uh, pressure from my friends and families back home and in Japan. And, and also um, in Kayafa, uh, we, we always said this, that what God does in you, he wants to do through you. So if you receive the greatest things that God has done in your life, now he wants you to do that through your life. Right? So I began to sense this weight of spiritual responsibility. How can I person like me can lead somebody to Christ? How can I take a spiritual responsibility to God's kingdom as an international student, as an English is my second language? I don't know where to start, what to do. I did not grow up in the church, so I didn't have a deep knowledge about the Bible. So soon after I got saved, I began to sense this weight and burden and uneasiness in my heart, and, and a few weeks later, 
I was at the edge of giving up, or I was just tempted to throw the towel to Christianity. Because I, I genuinely receive the grace of God. I genuinely respond um, to this invitation from Christ to come to me. And then I did. But soon I realized that, wow, I need to pay the cost. This is too much. I don't know if I can live the rest of my life as Christians. So in, in that season, however, I received probably the greatest things that I get to receive after I got saved. Now, I said that the salvation is the greatest things that can happen in your life, but after salvation, is there anything more? Is there anything that we need to search and receive after salvation? What would you say? What has the greatest things that have happened to you after you receive Jesus? Now, I do love my wife. Uh, we, we, we celebrate in 10 years this end of this year, uh, be married. And absolutely, I'm blessed, and I did marry up. And I, I'm super, super grateful for my wife. I love how it's on my heart. I do love my kids. Uh, it's it such a joy to see a little kids in, in the church a Sunday morning worshiping with a toy <laughs> and just riding around making noise. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, I love my children. But the greatest things that happened to me after my salvation was these things called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because without this empowerment from on high, I cannot live the life that I'm living right now. I have no idea how and why I am standing up here on the stage of the church on Sunday morning and sharing the God's word. I can't do that without receiving the power from God. And every day I pray, God, would you fill me with the Spirit of God, that I can live this life victoriously and purposefully. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, receiving, being filled with the Holy Spirit was the greatest things that happened to me after I got saved. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated and, and remind us of the meaning of the Easter, Right? The, the Bible says, without Christ being raised from dead, our faith is in vain. So our faith rests on this truth, the fact that Jesus died on the cross but rose from dead. So this Easter is significant in that way. However, the Easter is not the end of the gospel. Because <laughs> there's so much more after we receive this life from Christ. Once we are born, the purpose of life is to live. So if we are in Christ living, we must live this life well, victoriously and purposefully. So we this, begin this series, The Pentecostal Lifestyle. We go into this wonderful experience that we get to receive after we get saved. The experience in the, the power of the Holy Spirit. So for the next few weeks, we'll continue to this series. But uh, this morning, I got to uh, share what is a preparation for the Pentecostal lifestyle. What do we need to do in order for us to receive this wonderful privilege? So if you have a Bible, please open Book of Acts chapter 1. 
The main text this morning is verse 4, but let me read from verse 1 through 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. It says the former account, I'm sorry, I was reading in the ESV, so I'll read out of my note. Uh, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given command through the Holy Spirit to the apostle whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. In verse 4, it says, And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father. So, in this framework of connect, grow, and go, the connect part, the main point of this morning, the main belief that we should attach to, we should connect to, is this, that the Pentecostal lifestyle begins with waiting. Pentecostal lifestyle begins with waiting. Without waiting upon the Lord, there was no Pentecost. So when I, um, I, I grew up playing soccer all my life. Believe it or not, I had a chance to become a professional soccer player. <laughs> soccer is the biggest sports in Japan, and high school sports is a, it's like a college sports here. So if you want to be a professional, you have to make it to the best high school team in your state and compete the national level so that the scouts and the professional team will come watch you. And when I was 15 years old, I got the full scholarship to, to this the the best team in my state in high school, and they gave me full scholarships. I, I was invited to go play to soccer, um, play soccer in this high school. And, and it was awesome because that was my dream. And, and so I, I said yes to this invitation. And, and even before the high school start, the first day uh, of the school, of the classes, I went to the practice and suddenly, my dream was taken away. It's just one moment, because I tore ACL. Now, if you play sports, and if you know this term ACL, you know what I'm talking about. It's a ligament. Uh, there's a two big ligament. It's like a tube that connects upper uh, and lower bones of your legs. And, and one of them was completely torn uh, at the practice. And... It was hard because there was about 50, 60 people on the ground. Everybody heard something was broken. It was that loud that when I told ACL, uh, everybody knew that something happened to me, and everybody kind of knew that that was really bad. So um, that happened when I was 15 years old after I received a full scholarship to play one of the best teams in my state. And, of course, I did not want to quit. So I waited for one week, but after one week, I was back at the practice. Now, if you know somebody that toured ACL, that you cannot do that. Uh, I was taping all my knee knees, but I was at the practice trying to show my coach that I can still play. 
and that was a mistake number one, because not just the ACL being torn, but now my meniscus was completely gone. And because of that, both bones and upper level and lower level is touching each other. So the bones is also wearing out and torn. So six months later, I was at this doctor's office saying, this is not the knee that not just a soccer player, but the human being had. So you better stop now, otherwise you're not going to be able to walk in your life. So that moment, I decided to get surgery, and I did get surgery, and for the next one year, I could not even play. I couldn't kick the ball, and because of that, for the next three years in high school, I really didn't play soccer at all. So my soccer career was over because I did not want to wait. That was the lesson that I learned. It was the expense of my dream to be taken away. I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to stop. I just wanted to keep going. Now, after the resurrection, Jesus did say that all authority in heaven and on earth has now given to me. Therefore, go preach the gospel to all creation and go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. And this is the greatest part. Lo, remember this. I am always with you, even to the ends of the earth. But at the end of this, giving this church called the Great Commission, Jesus did say, but to wait and to receive this power from on high. Who likes waiting? Anybody in this room likes to wait? In our society and culture, this has not been valued, and no one wants to wait, right? If you get hungry, it is true to college students. If you get hungry, you just go to fast food or some frozen meal in the microwave and wait for a few, sec- few minutes, and you'll be fed. You're okay now. The faster internet is better, right? Who likes your Wi-Fi speed? You wish that you faster? Right? No one wants to pay to go slower. You want the faster, and if everything is bigger in Texas. But nowadays, everything has to be faster. Right? So this is why all the drivers in DFW area drive me crazy. Right? Because everybody wants to go faster and faster. This is what I realized, because when you're on the highway driving and when the car is trying to get into traffic, what do you do? You hit the gas. You accelerate. In Japan, it's opposite. You hit the brake and let people go in front of you. But I realize that here, you can't do that. You have to hit the gas and you want to go faster. Right? So nobody wants to wait. Nobody wants to go slower. That's our society. That's our culture operates. But in the Bible, in the God's kingdom, waiting has so much weight. Waiting is actually a vocabulary of God, right? Over and over again throughout the Bible, God commands us to wait, to wait. Lamentation chapter 3, verse 25, it says that the Lord is good to those who wait upon him, to the soul who seeks him. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strengths. 
They shall mount up with wings, wings like eagles. They shall run, not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Because those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strengths. Psalms 37 verse 9 says, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The victory belongs to those who wait. And Jesus even affirmed that in Matthew chapter 24 verse 13 says, The one who endure till the end shall be saved. Have you mastered this art of waiting in your work with God? I have gone through many seasons of waiting in my work with God. And maybe some of you are discovering the will of God in your life. God, what do you want for me? What is that you have for me? Would you just reveal that to me? Many college students are crying out that prayer every day. In 2006, when I was senior in college, I genuinely sensed that God was calling me into full-time mission work. And right after graduated, I wanted to do Chi Alpha right away after finished college. But back then, that door didn't open. So I had to wait for the next eight years to fulfill this call that I received from God. Now, some of you guys are praying um, for relationship and spouse. It is absolutely wonderful things to do. You should pray about it. You should seek. But in 2009, I did meet this wonderful lady, the woman of God, that I sensed that God was a Say go for it, <laughs> right? But my wife didn't feel that way right away. So <laughs> she, <laughs> she made me wait for such a long time, which all godly women do, right? So it's better for guys to wait. Uh, and, and ladies, let them pursue you. Um, but in 2009, I met my wife now. Um, but that, of course, the door didn't open. And I've Especially, I was in Japan, and she was back in Austin here in Texas. So um, we said yes to each other for a relationship, but of course, started as a long distance, and I came to San Antonio soon, but still, I was doing graduate studies. I was still in San Antonio, and she was in Austin. For the next three years, we did these things called long-distance relationship, and this was really the day of wedding day that I said, or she, my wife, said, we don't have to say goodbye anymore. Not sweet. <laughs> Got a student smile. Uh, so um, it was my, you know, my relationship pursuit journey. I had to wait. And I learned that it is good to wait. It is worth waiting. And some of you maybe already received the call of God in your life, but some reason it has been delayed. There's some reason that you can't do what God asks you to do. And I was true to me in 2018. I, I was confident um, that God was calling me to here in Arlington. But for the next three years, that door, again, didn't open. I, I expressed my desire to come here to my you know, leadership above, but the green light uh, wasn't offered to me for the next three years. So I had to wait, even though I received the call from God, and I knew that I was supposed to be here, but the Lord patiently ask me to wait. 
So waiting is God's language. That is his vocabulary. The season of waiting to all of us is not fun, no pleasant. But I know from this, my own experience, that we can get, come to closer to God in the time and season of waiting. So back to Acts chapter 1, here, verse 4, Jesus told his disciples to wait for the promise of the Father, to stay until being endued with power from on high, which is absolutely necessary for you and me to live this life that God is inviting us to live. So Pentecostal lifestyle is not a matter of preference. This is not something that you want to receive or not, but to me and to all of us, this is a necessity. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this life in Christ purposefully and victoriously. So Pentecostal lifestyle begins with waiting. This is how it starts. The Holy Spirit filled, the Holy Spirit led, the Holy Spirit empowered life begins with waiting. So the connect part this morning is this idea that we, if we want and need the Pentecostal lifestyle, the empowerment in the Holy Spirit from God, we must feel comfortable in God's command of waiting. So now let's move into the grow part. How can we grow into this belief, into this conviction, into this anchor of your soul? How can we live out this lifestyle of obeying the command of waiting? What does waiting in the Bible mean? How should my waiting look like? Now, biblical command to wait does not mean doing nothing. Christian faith is always active. It never meant to be a passive faith. It has to be alive and vibrant. What you believe expressed by how you live. One of my favorite missionaries, Easterly Jones, said this way, that my creed is what I believe enough to act upon. What you believe your creed is expressed how you live. James chapter 4, verse 17 says this way, Whoever knows the right things to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So when we think about sin, you know, um, we, we think about the sin is something that you do what you're not supposed to do. But there's another thing that um, the sin is also that you're not doing what you're supposed to do. That's what James is trying to communicate here. It's not just doing what you're not supposed to do, but also you're not doing what you're supposed to do. So we can't justify our laziness by using the biblical command of waiting, right? You can't just say, I'm just waiting, so I'm not doing anything. There are no lazy people in God's kingdom. Well, then what does that mean? What does that mean to wait? In Hebrew and Greek language, there are so many different words to express the meaning of waiting in the Bible. Such as wait means wait patiently. When the Bible uses the word patient, uh, wait, it, it, the, the word patient comes with it. Another word, another word is express the wait in hope, and it was expectancy. 
This doesn't sound like you're not doing anything. When you wait, you wait in hope. You wait with expectancy. Another, another word expressed this meaning of waiting as if a mother is waiting for his uh, her child to come home. Now, if mother in, in this room know what kind of feeling that is. Even father. I remember first time I sent off my oldest uh, Toa into school first time. Uh, she, uh, we, we, we sent her off to school by school bus at 7 o'clock in the morning. And I have to wait. Uh, we, it was an all-day you know, school program, so I have to wait until 3 or 4 o'clock. And I've, we speak Japanese at home, so our, our oldest didn't speak English at all. So that was the longest day that I ever had uh, after becoming a dad. And I remember that feeling. I was waiting for her to come home with such expectancy that she's okay, such a hope that she had a good time. I was waiting for her to come home. But the beauty of the biblical command of waiting, the application is the most wonderful things. The application of biblical waiting is always prayer. That's what God is expressing. When he said wait, it simply means that you need to seek me with all of your heart. Seek me, my face, earnestly and wholeheartedly in prayer. So the application of a biblical waiting is always prayer. So let's go back to Acts chapter 1, here in verse 4, Jesus said, wait to receive the promise of the Father. What did disciples do afterwards? When they, when they heard this command from Jesus to wait, this is what they do in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. But let me read from verse 12. Since then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. And verse 14 says this, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Those who heard this command from Jesus to wait, Next thing, what they did was devote themselves to prayer. So the application of waiting is prayer. The Pentecostal lifestyle begins with waiting, which means it begins with prayer. So let's talk about prayer for a moment. How, what, what does your prayer life look like? Are you a prayer warrior? Is prayer a major part of your devotional time? As the Bible commands, so are you praying without ceasing? What does your prayer life look like? Do you believe in prayer? Do you say that praying lifestyle is important in our walk with God? Now, if there was anyone that could say that prayer is silly and unnecessary, who would that be? The greatest candidate for that would be Jesus because he was God himself. Why did he pray? 
was there even need in him to pray? Because he was God. But what do you know about his prayer life? Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says that Jesus rose very early in the morning to pray. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 says that Jesus spent all night praying. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says that Jesus often withdrew himself into a quiet place to pray, indicating that prayer was his habit. And the disciples saw that Jesus praying all the times, so that they, they are prompted to ask this question, if you remember. Jesus, teach us to pray. The interesting is they didn't ask, Jesus, teach us how to pray. But simply ask, Jesus, teach us to pray. No man is greater than his prayer life. Leonard Ravenhill, one of the old dead guys that we embraced, wonderful man of God who went to be with the Lord, um, he said that in his book called Why Revival Tarries, and this is one of my favorite books and Reese's favorite books. It, it changed our lives, and um, highly encourage you guys, if you want to learn about what prayer does and prayer life looks like, Leonard Ravenhill. Why revival tarries? And he even continued to this, uh, continue saying this. He said, in churches today, we have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors and leaders, but few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. Much fashion, but little passion. Many interferers, but few intercessors. Many riders, but few fighters. Fade in here, he, he means about prayer. Fade in here, we fail everywhere. If we are not willing to wait, if we are not obeying this command of Jesus to wait, most likely we are not praying as much as we should. We're not praying as deeply as we should, and we're not seeking God as earnestly as we should. Pentecostal lifestyle begins with waiting. It begins with prayer. Those who heard Jesus saying, wait for the promise of the Father, went into the upper room to pray. But not everyone. But not everyone. There were about 500 people came to see Jesus when he was ascended into heaven. There's about 500 people present. So they heard this command from Jesus, wait, don't leave the Jerusalem. Stay until being endued with power from on high. 500 people heard that, but how many people we actually found in the upper room? It's about 120 only one-fourth was obeying this command to wait. 75% refused to wait for the promise of the Father. 
Many say that the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the beginning of the church, but it was actually this prayer meeting that the church of Jesus Christ was birthed. Oswald Chambers, whose famous work is the book called My Utmost for His Highest. Many of you guys know this book. Oswald Chambers says this, A prayer does not feed us for the greater works, but prayer is the great work. So the Pentecostal lifestyle begins with waiting. It begins with prayer. Now, Bethel Church, if we say that we will ignite change in hundreds that ignites change in thousands, we must be the praying people. Chi Alpha, if we are to reach 46,000 college students at UTA, we must be a praying community. If we look for revival to come in DFW and in the United States, we must begin with waiting upon him. We must seek in him earnestly in prayer. We must be on our knees crying out for God to move. Ian Bounds, another great man of God that I learned about prayer, says this, What the church needs today is not more machinery or better equipment, not new organization or more novel methods. But what the church needs is more men and women that the Holy Spirit can use, men and women of prayer, God's people mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods but through men. He doesn't come on machinery or equipment, but on men. He does not anoint plants, but men, the men and women of prayer. God, help us to be a prayer of prayer. Help us to be the one faithfully obeyed his command to wait for the promise of the Father to come upon us in prayer. Help us, God, not to be the one that refuse to go to the upper room to pray. We need to be the people of God that is full of Holy Spirit so that he will flow from our lives to ignite change in people around us and who do the same for others. The Pentecostal lifestyle begins with waiting. It begins with prayer. It begins with on our knees. Now, my wife studied communication at UT Austin, and that's her degree. Um, so she, she's my coach. Uh, every time I have an opportunity to get up in front of people and, and, and speak like this in church, I, I submit my sermon outlines, you know, of course, to pastors, but also to my wife. And I practice a few times, and she will tell me what to do and what not to do. Um, and then one thing that I learned from her, and this one thing she always repeats, is that you have to repeat the main things, that the things that you want people to take out of your message. You have to repeat that things over and over again. So if you want to communicate, repeat. Repetition is the price of knowledge. So for example, let's see if I did this right. How does the Pentecostal lifestyle begin? Wait, yes, you got it. Because you heard me saying this over and over again. The Pentecostal lifestyle begins with waiting, begins with prayer. So repetition is the price of knowledge. If you have an important message that you want to communicate, you better repeat that things over and over again. Now, in the New Testament, there are four gospel accounts. 
right? Four books that talks about the life and teaching of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, there are a few things that all these four authors wrote down. Not many, there's only few, such as feeding 5,000, Peter denying Jesus, death of Jesus on the cross. These things are mentioned in all four gospel accounts. Now, repetition is a price of knowledge. So if God repeating over and over again, we must pay attention to what he's saying. Now, in Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3, and John chapter 1, you can find the same message repeated four times in all four gospel accounts. And we need to pay attention to this. And I just pick one, this is Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. But this is the message that all the four gospel accounts writers wrote down. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but who is coming after me is mightier than whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Here's John the Baptist who's speaking. And he said this, that he, speaking of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This was repeated four times in the gospel accounts. The birth of Jesus wasn't mentioned in all four gospel accounts. But this prophecy that Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit was mentioned four times. So we need to pay attention to these things called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God is speaking to us, this is important for you. You need to seek this. You need to receive this. Don't stop when you receive the salvation of your soul. There's something wonderful things can happen after you, after you got saved. So Jesus desires us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He desires to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowered life is not a matter of preference. It's a necessity. If you see the need and desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit, let me just repeat this again, that the Pentecostal lifestyle, the Holy Spirit empowered life begins with waiting, begins with prayer. So, Marco, if you can come back and, and, and close us, it will be great. Um, it's about to finish. Here's the goal part. We talked about connect. We talked about grow into this belief that we need to wait. We need to begin to develop the prayer life. Here's the goal part. What is the application? What is the action step for us to grow into this conviction? That is, we need to seek the giver of the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a gift from God to whoever wants to receive it. This is what the Bible said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. But the crucial things for us to remember is that it is a giver that makes this gift so special. Now, I have this Bible. It's wearing out. It's torn apart. <laughs> I'm missing a few maps in the back. Um, but this Bible is precious to me because my wife gave this Bible when I became a missionary 
10 years ago. She came home with this Bible and said, you will need this. And this is my main Bible that I read and I preach out of. And, and this Bible is so precious to me, even though it has a lot of notes and it's, it's tearing apart. And, uh, but it is my wife that gave me this Bible. So it is the giver that makes what I have now is so special. So who is the giver of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says, I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Here's the Jesus speaking. So it is the Jesus that gives the empowerment, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So as you earnestly seek and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, as you desire to be immersed fully in the Holy Spirit, my encouragement is to seek the giver. Seek the giver, not the gift. It is the Jesus that baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. So this week, let us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, Jesus alone. Let us seek him as a most valuable object of our affection. He's the most wonderful things, most wonderful person that we can ever have a relationship with. Let us seek him earnestly and wholeheartedly in a prayer on our knees. Then we will see what he will do in our lives. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us this command to wait. Help us, God, to understand the weight and meaning and value of this command. We want to wait upon you because first of all, this is what you command us to do. But as a, as a byproduct of waiting, we can come closer, closer to you. And even you, God, that you created all things, but you came down to where we are in, in the form of Jesus Christ, and you spent, you lived among us, and that is a wonderful thing itself. But this Jesus said, it is better for me to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. So that the Holy Spirit can dwell in us and can take over our lives and lead us. So God, help us faithfully wait upon you and to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to, this, to live this life victoriously and purposefully to live this life in you and for you, Jesus. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to do that. And help us, God, to remember that it is you that gives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You are the giver of this wonderful gift. And we seek you, the giver. And by the byproduct, we'll receive this gift. We love you, Jesus. Your name we pray. Amen. 
Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.